We are here because the head of our Savior was so wounded and because he did pay for us with his own blood, with his own body, the price of our salvation. Would you open scripture to 1 Timothy chapter 5? We'll be reading from verse 3 all the way to verse 16. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3 to 16. If you're using one of the Bibles provided in the chair in front of you, you may find this passage on page number 1030. The word of the Lord for us this morning and for our hearts is the following. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents. For this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions too so that no one may be open to blame. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and not and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things they ought not to do. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us and for our hearts. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his spirit to give us the wisdom to understand it. Oh, Lord, how gracious you are to give us instructions about so specific needs in the life of the congregation. Father, we ask now through your Holy Spirit, would you open our minds? We desire to understand your word so that we may be able to live it faithfully. 
so that we may display our love to you through our submission to your word. Oh, Lord, we pray for your spirit to be with us. And we pray these things in the name of Christ, for his glory and honor. Amen. Well, we are in Sermon 12 in our series, Going Through 1 Timothy, in which Paul gives instructions to this younger pastor how to pastor the church and how to teach the church, how to teach the members of the church, how to conduct themselves in God's household. The church, according to the God, according to the Bible, the church is God's family, God's household. We are members of that family. We're partakers of that family. But the family belongs to God. Therefore, he gets to make the rules. Therefore, the, the, theme, the theme of this series, if you're visiting us this morning, the theme of this series through 1 Timothy is entitled, God's House, God's Rules. We are in Sermon 12, and today we're talking about widows and how to care for widows. Now, Paul gave instructions to Timothy about how to watch out against false teachers, about how to care and who to appoint as church leaders and church servants, about how to pursue godliness, about how to relate intergenerationally, and we saw that last week. But today, we will see how Paul teaches a church how to care for widows. Therefore, the title of my sermon this morning is Widows Who Make the Cut. Widows Who Make the Cut. Now, Scripture says much about widows and honors them in a way that most cultures today do not. In Scripture, widows, orphans, and aliens, in other words, people without husbands, parents, or homes, are valued for who they are in themselves and are said to deserve special honor, protection, and care. Let me just read to you a few references from the Old Testament and the New that speak about God's care for widows, orphans, and aliens. Psalm 68, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 14 through 19. It's a little longer passage. Moses speaks to the second generation of Israelites something about God and about who this nation is, Israel. Listen to how Moses describes both the Israelites and God. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affections on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be sniff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widows and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. 
Now, there's a huge hint here. Why is God calling himself the defender of the widows, the defender of the orphans, and of the aliens? And he wants his children, his people on earth, to reflect God's nature and character as well. Why? Because God says, when you do so, Israel, you must remember this is how you were in Egypt. And here's a huge point. Why God wants his people to care about widows, orphans, and aliens. Because we now, when we think of that, we have to remember that we used to live in a time when we were without a father, without hope. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. No one to turn to. That's how scripture defines our spiritual state before we came to know God. Friend, if you're not a Christian this morning, if you're visiting us and perhaps you've heard about Christianity, perhaps, you've, perhaps you may even call yourself a Christian, but you're not really sure if you're a Christian. I want to remind you of how scripture calls us wants us to think of ourselves before we truly came to know God. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. No one to turn to. In the book of 1 Peter, we're called without fathers, without God, fatherless. Friends, this is how we are in our spiritual condition about, apart from Christ. But when Christ comes, when he reveals himself to, to us, when he re reveals to us that he is our Savior, the one who died for our sins, he adopts us into God's family. So we're no longer homeless. We're no longer fatherless. We have God as our Father. It is because of the gospel that we now understand what it means to belong to a family. Friend, if you're not a Christian and you're hearing this news, I want to ask you, do you know the joy of being God's family? If you don't, I want to tell you about the way you can be saved. Scripture says and calls upon us to confess our sins and acknowledge Christ as our Savior and Lord who paid for our sins in our behalf so we don't have to face the wrath of God on the day of judgment because Christ faced it for us already. If we repent of our sins and believe in Jesus, our Savior, He brings us into His family. He adopts us, and we are now called children of the living God. If you want to know more about this God, I want to challenge you at the end of the service. Come and talk to me or anyone in the service. Come and talk to someone who can tell you about this faith in Jesus who makes us children of God in a real way. For those of us who have made that commitment, and especially as we prepare ourselves to be partakers of the Lord's Supper, of His body and blood for us, there's one huge implication. It is because of the gospel that we are called to have a special care and concern for the fatherless, for the widows, and for the aliens. Why? Because just as Israel was to remember that they themselves were slaves, so they, so we as well, are called to remember where, you, where we used to come from. Now, there's many other places in Scripture. Let me just read a few more. 
God gives in, in, the, in the Old Testament in Exodus 22 the following command. Do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with a sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. This is how serious God is about making sure that his people will care for the widows, the fatherless, and the aliens. The prophets regularly complained against Israel because Israel failed to worship God and to commit, submit to God's reign. And one of the common things brought against Israel is that they failed to defend the cause of the widows and the orphans. There were too many references in the Old Testament to share with you, but I just chose one. Isaiah 1.23, the prophet convicts the nation of Israel, saying, your rulers are rebels, companions of thieves. They all love bribes and chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. And the prophets go on and on and talk about this failure of Israel. In the New Testament, such warnings continue. Jesus warned against teachers of the law who devour widows' houses and for show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely, says Jesus. And probably one of the most touching experiences in the New Testament is when Jesus, from the cross, while bearing the sins of the whole world upon himself, Jesus wanted to make sure that his widowed mother will be cared for by John. When Jesus instructed, in, entrusted her mother into John's care. Then we get to the book of Acts, providing financial assistance for the needy. Widows was such a big part of the early church's life that when it was not handled properly, it caused the first major crisis in the church, which called the apostles to call the first deacons in Acts chapter 6. Because not caring properly for the physical needs of the congregation has spiritual implications in the church. It can cause disunity. So one of the primary responsibilities of first deacons in Act 6 was to be shock absorbers, to solve the tensions by ensuring that the physical needs of the widows were being addressed properly. So now Timothy gets instructions from Paul about how to care for the widows of the church and how to determine which widows were supposed to be placed on the widows list. Now, the entire passage which we read is bracketed by this command to honor widows. Look at verse 3. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. The command to give proper recognition also means to honor. This honoring is not simply about giving public recognition, but it means specifically or includes specifically providing financial assistance. So give recognition to those who are in need is not simply to expose their poverty, but to supply their needs. And Paul says the same in verse 16. Look at verse 16. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. Now, if we read these verses, 
we understand that Paul's punchline is not so much the command that the church should help widows. That was already given. It was assumed. It was known. It was practiced. The real punchline, and where Paul spends most of his time in this passage, is how to determine which widows to help. Yes, Paul is telling the church that they should not help everyone equally. Timothy and the church is given instructions how to differentiate between various needs that the widows in the church in Ephesus had. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but this flies in the face of our values for equality and demanding equal help. This flies in the face of providing financial assistance without first finding out what are the real needs and doing some background work to ensure that their needs are real. Now, let's be clear about this. This differentiation is not based on ethnicity as it happened in Act 6. We know that when it was done on ethnicity, it caused a lot of trouble. And it had to be corrected. We also know that we should not do this financial help based on favoritisms. Like in the book of James where people were favoring one another and, and showing favoritisms for various reasons. We should not do this differentiation based purely on social status. And yet we are called to do some differentiation. How do we determine as a church who should get financial assistance? Well, Paul gives us two principles. Two principles in this passage that helps us and helps Timothy to know who to help. The first one is determine the material needs and other sources of income. Determine material needs and other sources of income. And the second principle is assess the spiritual life of the person. Assess the spiritual life of the person. Before we look at each of these principles, we need to realize how seriously the early church took this ministry. The church had a list of widows supported by the church. This means that the financial support was not just occasional, but an ongoing support. Uh, otherwise, this list would be superfluous. As we will see, this list included names of widows who were Christ followers, members of the church in Ephesus. So this list of widows was not a ministry to the outsiders, but a ministry to those who belong to the body of Christ in the local church in Ephesus. This is not to say that we should not help those who are outsiders, but the church has a special responsibility to assist those who are part of its body. Yet, even if someone is part of God's family, the church is still called to assess and differentiate who to help and how much to help. So let's look at these principles, who to help. How do we think through it? Number one, determine the material needs and other sources of income. Friends, clearly, Losing one's spouse causes a significant imbalance in one's household income. There's a whole lot of other losses that are being experienced. But one for sure is finances. Now, you have, we have to go back to ancient culture 
where there was no life insurance policies. Uh, there were no retirement savings plans. So that when someone's spouse passed away, the, 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 the spouse was still alive, all of a sudden started facing some significant financial challenges, and especially women, and especially older women. So no wonder that the church is given a special responsibility to make sure that these people are cared for. But here's what Paul says. Here's the first principle. Look at verse 4. But if a widow has children and grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. So the first criteria in deciding to put a widow on the church's widow's list is to find out if that person has family. If so, such a person should not put on this list. Now, what if the family member refuses to help? This is where Paul turns his attention to such family members. To all people who have either a widowed parent or a widowed grandparent. Let me see by a show of hands here this morning. How many of you have a widowed parent or grandparent? Would you raise your hand? Okay. A good part of you. Now, others of you have not raised your hand. It's probably because um, your parents or grandparents are still alive. Well, I want to tell you, there will come a time when you could raise your hand. And this message, and especially the first part of this text, is addressed to us who may have or will have parents or grandparents who are widows. Here's what the Lord has to speak to us. God is telling us that we have a responsibility to care financially and emotionally and spiritually for those members in our family who are widowed. And God gives us four reasons why we have this responsibility. Look at, number, look at verse 4, the first reason. They should learn to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family. Now, the Greek word for putting your religion into practice is actually one word in the Greek language. It's also the word for acting godly. Yes, we act godly when we care for members of our family, when we care for those who are widowed in our families. Providing financial assistance is an act of worship when we provide for our widowed uh, members of the family. It is an act of godliness. Now, what if the family members are not God followers? Well, this is where number two, reason number two comes up. God says it's also an act of paying back. The second reason why we should consider and plan for helping our parents in their older time, older age, especially when one, when one of them will become widow, is because it is payback time. Repay them back. Yes, as we become adults, we incur a debt to our parents. Remember, for first 18 years of our lives, our parents provided for all our financial needs because we were not able to do so. Now, true, some of us start 
earning money when we're 16. But for the first decade and a half, at least, our parents provide for our needs. Paul is saying to us that we reach a time in our lives when it will be payback time. And we need to prepare for that time. Will it be inconvenient for us? Absolutely. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. But before you decide to neglect your parents and mind your own life, remember how many inconveniences your parents went through to raise you up. It's godly to turn back the favor. It is purely godly to turn back the favor. One of the most moving lessons I got from one of my advisors, from my advisor in seminary, Dr. Robert Yarbrough, was to hear that when one of his parents, and I don't remember if it was either his parents or his wife's parents, they were living in a different town, were no longer able to help themselves. He decided it was time to leave teaching at a very prestigious seminary and move to a different town to be closer to his parents so he could care for them. Why make such sacrifices? Why decide to go through such inconveniences? Because it's godly. It is an act of godliness. It is payback time. It's pleasing to God. Look at number three. It is pleasing in the sight of God to engage in taking care of our elderly parents or grandparents. And then there's a fourth reason. And this is a little later. It's expressed in some negative language. Failing to do so or refusing to provide financial assistance to them is actually a denial of the faith. A denial not by words, but by our actions. Friends, I wonder, I wonder how many of us are denying our faith by failing to care for our own family members. I wonder. In such cases, Paul says, we are worse than unbelievers. Verses 7 and 8. Now, in the Greco-Roman world, pagans did care, did take good care of their elderly. So Paul could give this, exp- uh, this comparison. Actually, up until a century ago, people used to live three generations under the same roof. It is only in this century, and actually even in this century, in the western part of the world, where we have been so invaded by individualism that we can, it's just so abnormal and unheard of to have three generations live in the same roof. And it is only in this culture that we are so, so self-centered upon ourselves and our most absolute immediate family that we have a hard time caring for our extended family the way Scripture calls us to do. Friends, I pray that, that God's Word would start taking away the idols that have invaded our own hearts from the culture around us 
and that we would learn how to care for our own parents, our own grandparents, our members of the extended family. Now, yes, we are fortunate in our day to have a number of financial vehicles to assist widows in need. We have a number of options for elderly assisted facilities that take great care of them. But friends, nothing replaces the concern, the touch, and the compassion of a family member turning to aid a widowed mother or father. I pray that we would grow in godliness, in the way we care for our elderly members in our families. Friend, are you cultivating such a caring attitude to your parents or grandparents? Even if you're young, you might be a college student, and you say, oh my goodness, there'll be two decades, three decades before I have to think about it. Well, that's okay. Why don't you start cultivating this attitude now? And those of us who are in mid, middle life and, and we are coming close to caring for our parents in this way, it may require to do some downsizing of our lifestyle. It may require to make some drastic changes. But care for your elderly parents. It's godly. It's pleasing to God. It's a great testimony to the world. The reason why Paul gives such explicit instructions to believers is so that by providing for their own families, such widows would not fall under the responsibility of the church. And this is a point clarified in verse 16. If any woman who is an, a believer has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. Friends, by discriminating on needs, based on needs, and based on other sources for assistance, such as the family, the church is freed up to help those of its members who are totally without any source of support. And when those members are part of us, we need to commit ourselves to them fully. That's the point. Yes, we discriminate based on need and based on sources of other, in, other income so that we can help more generously those who have none of that. Such widows are described in verse 5. The widows who are really in need and left all alone put their hope in God and continue night and day to pray and ask God for help. As one pastor put it, one of the hardest things in benevolent situations is to decide whether or not a person is in legitimate need or simply taking, care, taking advantage of the church's generosity. This is one of the most difficult things to do. Evidently, that's not just a new problem, but also an ancient one. So to curtail poor stewardship of the limited resources in any congregation, the apostle called for discernment by explaining in more detail what he meant by honoring widows who are widows indeed. That's the first principle. But then there's a second principle. Qualifying for the church's list of widows, the second principle was examining, assessing the spiritual life of the person we're helping. Now, there's one biological qualification, and this is a little bit hard to, to the most clear-cut, but also hard. It says, no widow in verse 8, no widow may be put on the widow's list unless she's over 60. Why 60? Most commentators say it was probably because it was the age both when widows would no longer think about remarrying or their ability to gain an income for themselves was just severely limited after that age. 
That is one of the explanations. But the other, the other profiles, the other qualifications, have to do with character and spirituality. Look at the characteristics. Now, by the way, if you're not a widow, don't think that this sermon is not for you at this point. Here's why. These qualifications are to be present in someone's life prior to becoming a widow. We need to live this kind of life that should the Lord bring to the point where you will be a widow in the future, especially in the older age, that you can qualify for these qualifications. Second of all, these, as we will see, these qualifications are not just for super-Christians. Just like for the qualifications for elders and deacons, these qualifications are for every Christian. Let's look at each of them. Has been faithful to her husband. The Greek phrase is, a, just like for elders and deacons, a one-man woman. She must be a one-man woman. How amazingly important was this commitment to marriage that this characteristic shows up in every qualification, not just for church leadership, but for making it on the church's list of widows. Friends, I wonder if we will ever recover such a strong commitment to marriage. But this is the first one. Then look at the next one. And is well known for her good deeds. Yes, women who are known in the church for their good deeds. I praise God that so many of our ladies in our church do this so well. Ladies, thank you. Thank you for being committed to doing good deeds. Paul will give here a number of examples of these good deeds, bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, which was another way of, of showing hospitality to traveler, travelers, and helping those in trouble. This may include Christians and non-Christians alike, willingness to assist those who are distressed under pressure, devoting oneself to all kinds of good deeds, this is a concluding qualification that encompasses all the others. In other words, widows who are known for active service for the cause of Christ. These are the widows that qualify to be on this list. Friends, think beyond just widows. If you're a woman, this is a kind of godly character that should characterize all Christian women, even if their husbands are still alive. Paul spends some time describing the alternative route which such women should avoid at all costs. The danger needs, um, this first danger needs quite a bit of explanation, verse 11 and 12. For when their desire or sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. People question, what is this first pledge? Is Paul saying that widowed women should not marry? Not at all. If we look Further, in verse 14 and 15, um, Paul gives clear indication that he wants younger widows to marry. So what is this first pledge that is being talked against or that is being forsaken? I think we need to read this passage in, on the background of 1 Corinthians 7.39, where Paul speaks about women who have become widows. And here's what Paul says. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. The commitment, you can remarry if your spouse dies, but there's a condition that the person you're remarrying is also a Christ follower. Other words, another way, in a, other word, otherwise the the first pledge to the Lord is being forsaken. 
What a great, clear teaching on how we should make sure that when we, those of you who are planning to marry, that you would consider marrying someone who is a Christ follower so you would be equally yoked. Friends, it is in this context, I think, that Paul is using this language of the fact that some younger widows, when they would get remarried, they would just remarry anyone who would possibly take him. I don't know whether or not they were Christians. And Paul says, watch out. Don't forsake the Lord in your choice of being remarried. Now remember how through this letter, Paul warned against false teachers and he's telling Timothy that there are people who have turned away from the, from the faith. And here in verse 15, Paul says, some of these widows have already turned away to follow Satan. It is a real danger. Women should avoid these paths, even when the Lord brings them through the difficult, difficult experience of going through widowhood. So this is a profile of women who should be kept on the church's list of widows. Now here's the greatest challenge. It's hard enough to assess the material needs of someone and determine whether or not they qualify to be on the list of widows. It's hard enough to do that. It is way more difficult to actually have to go through assessing their spiritual life. Who is supposed to do that? Who's supposed to, to call the shots if someone qualifies spiritually to be assisted by the church? I thought none of us should get into each other's businesses. And none of us should really care about the godliness level of our own lives. That's between us and the Lord. Right? Wrong. I say this very gently, very humbly, but very firmly. When we become Christ followers, we automatically join the family of God. And one of the responsibilities each of us have as part of the family of God, as members of that family, is to watch over one another and over the godliness growth in, in each other's lives. It is only when we think through an individualistic attitude of the church, hey, my life is none of your business. You shouldn't judge me how godly I am. That's not for you. Only when we have that kind of view of the church that this command is so hard to follow. But when we realize that we should watch over one another, Church leaders are called to give an account of the godliness of the spiritual life of the souls of the members of the congregation. When such view is in place, it is more doable. It is more acceptable. It's not so uncommon for us to make judgment calls on the godliness of different members and to assess and see if we could help them financially based on their godliness. So who are supposed to, who's supposed to do this? The church leaders. Deacons, as they help, as they administrate the widow's lists. Friends, I pray that God makes us understand these values, these assumptions that are in the church. 
Because if we live with a kind of Christianity that is a standoffish, arm's length Christianity where you don't get into my business, we have deeper issues about what the, the family of God is all about. So the, the greatest challenge is not to assess the physical, material needs of, of widows. The greatest challenge is to assess the spiritual needs. And, and if they don't qualify, how do you go and tell them? Wouldn't that be more disheartening to say, we can't help you because we're just, we don't see the, the godliness that Christ calls you to have? I mean, don't you think that will cause more damage? It may. Unless, unless, unless we realize that we should be giving one another these kind of reports about our godliness all the time that we should speak into each other's lives about how we perceive godliness in our lives so that it's normal to talk about how we see godliness growing in our lives. When we see that happening, when we are that kind of a church, it is God's gracious gift to realize, to tell someone we don't see the godliness that Scripture calls for us, for you to have. And it should be a great act of God's mercy to call us to... to to godliness before it's too late. So it's not. Yes, it may cause danger. It may cause hardship. It may cause trouble if we live with a worldly view of the church. But if we adopt a godly biblical view of the church, such conversations should be normal, should be natural. Even though they may be painful, they should be grace-filled and grace-honoring. So friends, as we think about who to help, God has gifted, given us a number of godly widows. Ladies, we pray for you. We want to help you. And whether or not we have the exact way of, of having a widow's list, whether or not you have family that can provide for you, we as a church, as members of the congregation, we want to come alongside you in various ways. It might be coming and mowing the lawn. It might be coming and doing some things around the house. It might be coming and doing some, some shopping. Whatever it is that we can do for you to serve you. We want to do that because Christ teaches us to do so. But we want to encourage even through this way of, of how we think and discern through widows and how to help and who to help, that we promote godliness. Why? Because this is what Christ has done for us. The grace of Jesus Christ teaches us to forsake ungodliness. Friends, as we prepare ourselves to take the Lord's Supper, let's prepare ourselves to think upon the cross of Christ who calls us, who called us from being without hope, without father, without any hope in this world. Now we have the full hope of God's family. Let's meditate and think of how we are called to care, how we're called to help and serve and discern at the same time those among us who are widows and orphans. Let's prepare for this special time partaking of the Lord's Supper. Let's pray.